Welcome to the New Hope Leeward podcast. Well, good morning, New Hope Leeward. It is good to be together. Would you say amen to that? It was a joy to worship with you. Can we thank our worship team one more time for just blessing us today? I want to welcome all of you here at Kapolei, those of you joining us online. We are so glad that you're here. My name is Josiah. I'm the senior pastor here at the church. And I want to ask you, uh, maybe instead of asking which team you're rooting for, let me just ask uh, this question uh, today, because I've, I've not seen many jerseys for Kansas City or Eagles in this church. So who wants both team to lose? Like if you had it your way, both teams would lose. Raise your hand. Okay. <laughs> Jesus told you to be salt of the earth and you chose to be salty. Okay, that's good. Um, I'm going to be honest, every single year that the Super Bowl comes around, I kind of have all these high hopes. A lot of times I'm disappointed by the game. I'm, I'm disappointed by the commercials. I'm, I'm disappointed by the halftime show. And, and so today what I want to do before we start and go into the message, I want to, I want to bless you uh, with our very own New Hope Leeward uh, halftime show, okay? So a couple weeks ago, we had a party for uh, Team Leeward, which is all the people who serve here in this church. And at the end of our party, the staff did a dance and I was lip syncing. And I'm gonna be honest, I kind of lost myself uh, in the music for a while. There's a lot of white boy dancing happening. And uh, many of you were filming it. And there was a lot of you filming it and saying like, oh, I got it on film. Like you have some kind of dirt on me. You got nothing. Cause I'm gonna show it to everybody <laughs> to stay ahead of it. I'm gonna show you right now. Okay. So here is our halftime show portion of it. Take a look. I'm really singing. This is really my voice. I need to know that. Some white boy dancing for you right there. <laughs> Nimble jump. Yeah. You know, I just jump off the stage. This is me hoping, hoping the song is over because I'm tired. <laughs> Little white boy dad saying for you. Yeah. Rihanna who? Rihanna who? Rihanna who? The reviews are in, okay? The reviews are in. My kids said it was uh, cringe, okay? That's what, <laughs> that's what they said. I love embarrassing. Okay. That seems like a really uh, good place uh, to preach. Okay, so we're jumping in. Second week of this series before Bethlehem. Now, this is what we're doing in this. We've never done this before. We're, we're, we're doing, as you saw in that video, Jesus uh, says this in John 5. I'll just paraphrase. He says this to the prideful Pharisees who thought that their knowledge and the keeping of the law would save them. He told them, you study the scriptures because you think you will find life in the pages Although you're looking for me, the scriptures, the Old Testament, Jesus is saying it all points to him. That although you will not find the name explicitly written Jesus in the Old Testament, it points to him over and over and over. Pastor Art told us there's hundreds of prophecies and promises and stories about the Messiah and what Jesus would do. And so though you will not find the name Jesus in the Old Testament, it all builds toward the cross and the resurrection. It all builds toward him. And as Pastor Art said, this series is to build your faith. It's to build an appreciation for the Old Testament. And you know what? I, my hope is this, 
is that as you read the Old Testament, I pray that you would begin to see Jesus everywhere. I pray that you would begin to see he who is in and through the pages. And so in this series, we're just gonna look at different stories in the Old Testament. We're gonna talk about how they point to Christ. So today we're gonna be in 2 Kings 5. If you wanna open your Bible there, you have the notes, it'll be on the side screens too. It's one of my favorite stories in the Old Testament. One of the first sermons I ever gave uh, when I was a youth pastor to uh, the big church, and this is the story of Naaman the leper. And so let's jump in. We got a lot to cover today, but I'm gonna get you out of here on time. And so 2 Kings 5, and we'll start off in verse one. We'll take the story piece by piece. It says, now, Naaman was commander of the army of the king of Aram. He was a great man in the sight of his master and highly regarded because through him, the Lord had given victory to Aram. He was a valiant soldier, but he had leprosy. So this takes place approximately 800 years before Christ appeared in Bethlehem. In 2 Kings, we're giving a, a detailed history of God's people, but the story kind of randomly cuts over to actually the enemies of Israel. The commander of the uh, army of Aram, and his name is Naaman. Now, Naaman is highly regarded, meaning uh, he has notoriety, he has a good track record in battle, he's wealthy, but all of this is overshadowed by the one fact that he has leprosy. Although treatable and curable now, it was not back then or in Jesus's day. And he still holds his position, which means it's probably in the early stages, and over time, it would turn into red spots on his skin eventually would turn white and scaly, and in more extreme stages, hair, nails, eventually toes, fingers, limbs, eyes, uh, teeth can begin to rot away, where you look more like, like a husk than a human being. In Jesus's day, the lepers, they dressed as if they were mourning the dead. They dressed as if they were attending a funeral because they were mourning themselves. Verse two. Now, bands of raiders from Aram had gone out and taken captive of a young girl from Israel, and she served Naaman's wife. She said to her mistress, if only my master would see the prophet who is in Samaria, he would cure him of his leprosy. So this girl was an unwilling missionary, taken from her home at a very young age, and she speaks up in faith. If only Naaman would go to my homeland and see the prophet there, he would be cured. Cure in the Hebrew actually means he will gather, meaning that Naaman would experience a readmission into society. Leprosy was uh, believed to be more contagious than it actually was. So you weren't allowed, in, especially in later stages, why well, it might have been a secret that he had leprosy at this point. You were not allowed to be in normal society. In, in fact, it uh, was said that you had to be two meters apart from everybody. You know how far two meters is? It is just over six feet. And so we all lived that, right? We lived through a period where every single person in our lives was a leper, right? We saw everybody at the store. And I remember going to the store and like, uh, just trying not to sneeze and cough because uh, my mask had been on the floor of my car for two months. And then I would pick it up and put it on. And yeah, I know, so gross. Probably like more disease ridden than not wearing one. And I would go in, I'd go into the store and I remember this one time I sneezed in Foodland and there was all these little Filipino ladies in front of me and I sneezed and they all scattered. And one of them went, ay, like that. <laughs> ay, she decided to run away. Um, I don't know why I told you that story. I just wanted you to know. I, thought was, I think about her sometimes. Okay, so 
Naaman's leprosy, again, it still, it might've been this secret where only he and the king of Aram actually knows because this is how he would be doomed to live out his final days in life. I'm gonna paraphrase the next set of verses. So Naaman goes to the king of Aram and he tells him everything the girl said. The king is excited to send Naaman to Israel. So there might've been some political stability between these two nations at this time. King of Aram says, go, I'm gonna send a letter ahead of you. You know what, we're gonna send some gifts as well. So Naaman shows up with silver, gold, expensive clothing. One commentator estimated probably about 1.2 million that Naaman shows up to Israel with for his healing. Okay, verse seven. As soon as the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his robes and said, am I God? Can I kill and bring back to life? Why does this fellow send someone to me to be cured of his leprosy? See how he is trying to pick a quarrel with me. That's how impossible this request is. The king of Israel thinks that the king of Aram is doing all of this just to have a reason to attack Israel. So he tears his robes, which was a sign of extreme distress and grief. This was a tall order, an impossible one. So before this story points us to Jesus, it actually points us to ourselves. You can go ahead and you can write this down if you're taking notes today. Naaman reminds us that we have a terminal condition. It's our sin. Every single one of us. We're born into the same problem with the same terminal condition. We're born into the original sin that Pastor Art talked about last week in Genesis 3, and it's passed down like a genetic disease to every single one of us. You ever wonder, uh, like, if we truly are born into sin? Look at a toddler, amen? Look at how they live their lives, and you will understand <laughs> that we're all born into this. And so we're not just, uh, we don't just have sin, but we're also predisposed toward sin. James says this, this is James 1, 13 through 15. He says, each person is tempted when they are dragged away by their own evil desire and enticed. Then after desire has conceived, it gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is full grown, gives birth to death. Now sin is a lot like leprosy, if you think about it. It starts small, seemingly insignificant. It starts with desire. Desire, wanting something that isn't yours wanting something that you know that God does not have for you, wanting something that you know is wrong. It starts small, often in the mind. And after you and I do some mental gymnastics about maybe why it's not a big deal or why it doesn't hurt anybody or why Jesus may even just forgive us anyway, desire turns into action, committing sin. And in Romans 6.23, the apostle Paul says, the wages of sin, what you get for your sin is death. Sin is like leprosy. It starts out small and seemingly insignificant, but over time it eats away at us. It eats away at our lives, our, our, our souls, our relationships, and it's not satisfied until it has everything. And you can't cure yourself. There's no amount of church that you can consume. There's no amount of good deeds that you can do. There's no amount of Bible studies that you can attend or religion that you can practice to just be cured of this condition. This is why the king tears his robes and cries out, am I God? Because apart from God, this is terminal. Apart from Christ, we are helpless and we are hopeless. 
Now, when the king would tear his robes, everybody in the kingdom would hear about it, including the prophet that this young girl spoke of. Jumping back in verse eight. When Elisha, the man of God, heard that the king of Israel had torn his robes, he sent him this message. Why have you torn your robes? Have the man come to me and he will know that there is a prophet in Israel. So Naaman went with his horses and chariots and stopped at the door of Elisha's house. Okay, wait right here, because I love this part so much. I love in movies and stories when somebody thinks they're all that and they get, they get humbled. You know what I mean? They get taken down a couple notches. Like my favorite part of any movie and it's my favorite part of this story right here. So Naaman was a big deal. Na- Naaman was a war hero. So he was used to going into towns and people would gather to honor him. So he shows up to Elijah, uh, Elisha's house with all of this pomp. Okay, he's got horses, he's got chariots, he's got servants, he's got gifts. And he's expected that the prophet is going to come out and be so honored that Naaman came to visit him. He's, he's, expecting, he's expecting there's gonna be this dramatic ritual that the prophet is gonna do, and then he's going to be healed. He pulls up to the house. Okay, this is what happens, and the door opens. I'm gonna, I'm gonna paraphrase this part for you. It's not even the prophet. So Elisha does not even come to the door. He sends like one of his underlings, like he sends a messenger to the door. And I always like to imagine the messenger not caring that it's Naaman. Like I always imagine like the messenger opening the door and like getting his name wrong, being, oh, what's up, Norman? Uh, Yeah, so anyway, um, you know, and and, and this is what he tells him to do. Yeah, just go wash, go wash in the Jordan seven times and then you're gonna be cleansed. And then he just closes the door. And Naaman, I, I wish I could see his face because like he's fuming, like he's fuming that this is the way that he is treated, okay? Verse 11, but Naaman went away angry. So he's like, this is how you can be healed. He walks away angry and said, I thought that he would surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God, wave his hand over the spot and cure me of my leprosy. Are not Abana and Perper, the rivers of Damascus, better than all the waters of Israel? Couldn't I wash in them and be cleansed? So he turned and went off in a rage. So he's, he's in his feelings. He's in his own mind right now. And he's, he was expected that there would be a grand prayer, not a go wash in the dirty, filthy Jordan. Almost like what's being required of him is beneath him. And so Naaman's pride, it's actually almost bigger and more problematic than the disease itself because it's standing now between him and his healing. Now, before you get down on my man Naaman for a minute, um, I want you to, to consider that we're actually not so different. You can write this down. Naaman reminds us that, that pride often stands in the way of our healing. Because think about this, in Christ, okay, so we have sin, it's a big problem. But in Christ, we have a very simple solution. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But it requires getting over your pride. If we confess our sin, that's admitting in the first place that it's sin. That's admitting in the first place that it's actually wrong and it's a problem for us. It it humbles us. 
And pride often gets in the way. So here's just a couple different ways. There are some of us that we go to church. You come to church because you want to be near to God, but you feel like you can't be too near to him because of things that you've done and because of your past. And I'm here to tell you that is actually your pride. There are some of us that think we're too far gone. Like we're the first person in history to outsin the cross and the resurrection. Come on, that's pride. There's no other way to word that. There's some of us that we think we have to clean ourselves up first before we can then approach Christ. That's pride. There's some of us that think even after we're saved, and this is kind of subconscious for a lot of us, we work hard and we serve the Lord because subconsciously we feel like if we do, God's gonna love us a little bit more. We work our way into worth. That's pride. And it stands in the way of our healing. There are some of us that have stopped confessing our sin because it doesn't bother us anymore. That's pride. There are some of us, and this is interesting, I never really thought about this before. There are some of us that accepted Christ in our life. Okay, so maybe I'm talking to those of you that's a little more recent. In the last year, maybe it was last week with Pastor Art. And because it wasn't this big, grand experience, because you didn't ugly cry like your cousin did when she accepted Christ, you think that maybe yours didn't take and yours wasn't legit because it wasn't a grand experience. I tell you, that's, that's pride. Verse 13, going back into the story. So Naaman's servants uh, speak some truth to him. This is so good. Naaman's servants went to him and said, my father, the prophet had told you to do some great thing. Go and slay an army. Sacrifice a thousand cattle. You would have definitely... Would you not have done it? How much more than when he tells you, wash and be cleansed? His pride is hurt and they begin to speak truth to him. Going on verse 14. So he went down and dipped. So he goes. Dipped means he plunged himself. He's not like dipping a toe in the Jordan. This is his whole body being submerged. In the Jordan seven times, the number of completion or perfection in the Bible. As the man of God had told him, his flesh was restored and became clean like that of a young boy. Verse 15. Then Naaman and all his attendants went back to the man of God. He stood before him. So he shows up the first time with all this pomp, right? And he shows up again very, very humbled. Stood before him and said, now I know that there is no God in all the world except in Israel. He even, goes off, he even goes on to say that even in my distant land, I'm only going to worship the Lord. He takes as much earth as he can because it was believed that there was power in the land and he would worship upon the earth of Israel. So besides um, the incurable leprosy, how does this point to Jesus? Besides the fact, I guess it's not really a, a legit baptism because nobody baptized him. Naaman kind of baptized himself. But besides the fact that this is kind of the first baptism, and it's in the place where John the Baptist baptized. I mean, not the exact spot, but in the Jordan where Jesus got baptized. How does this, how does this point to Christ? Well, to see that, we actually got to fast forward uh, some 800 years to the time of Jesus. So I want to close with this last story. Towards the beginning of Jesus's ministry, he's, he's in his hometown of Nazareth teaching, and it's a, a, it's a pretty tough crowd. Like at first, they're amazed by him. They're amazed by his words. And then one of the greatest threats to our faith begins to set in, pride. And here's how it comes, in the form of familiarity. 
And I've never realized that I, I don't have enough time. I wanna, maybe I'll preach a whole sermon on this one day that one of the things that attacks our faith when we've been walking with Christ a long time and what stands in the way of us getting healed or experiencing new life, even after we've been a Christian for all, we, we get stale. Why? Because we become familiar with Christ. The scripture actually will go on to say in other, in other books and other tellings of this story that Jesus did not do miracles there because of their lack of faith. They were too familiar with Jesus because they begin to ask the questions, isn't this the kid that we saw grow up? Don't we know his parents? He was our neighbor. Don't we know his brothers and, and sister? And so the pride gets the better of them and they refuse to believe. And so Jesus reminds them of, of Naaman and then things get super wild in this story, okay? So verse, verse 27, this is, oh, sorry, this is um, Luke 4, verse 27. So this is Jesus talking to the people that refused to believe. And there were many in Israel with leprosy in the time of Elisha the prophet, yet not one of them was cleansed. And he talks about the guy we just talked about, only Naaman the Syrian. We'll come back to this, but I want you to see what happens. All the people in the synagogue were furious, meaning they were breathing heavily. Furious when they heard this, they got up drove him out of town and took him to the brow of a hill on which the town was built in order to throw him off, throw him off the cliff. Okay, now I've preached some bad sermons in my day, but I've never gotten a reaction like this. You just carry me up to Wainai Pillbox and throw me off. That's like, this is what was happening. They're driving him out of town. They're getting ready to throw him off. And what they would do is they'd throw you off the cliff and then they would pick up large stones and drop them on you. This is Jesus's neighbors. Like this is people that he grew up knowing. And before we go into why this is happening, I want you to see one of my, my most favorite miracles in the Bible because it's wild. You're like, some of you are like, I've never heard this story before. How is Jesus going to get out of this one? Look at verse 30. So they're getting ready to throw him off. But he walked right through the crowd and went on his way. How? I have no idea. I just imagine it's like they're getting ready to throw him. And then all of a sudden, he's just walking through them in like slow motion. And I know they didn't have sunglasses back then, but I imagine him like, and then that song from Ferris Bueller's Day Off, you know, like playing as he gets, as he gets to the end. This, this is how my mind works when I read uh, scripture. He's so cool, man. He just like walks through the people. Okay, so why, so why are they so mad at him? Why the overreaction? Up until this point, it was widely believed that salvation was only for the Jewish people, was not for the Gentiles, was not gonna be for anybody else. And so Jesus points out the story of Naaman, which was a difficult time in Israel's history. There was not a lot of good stuff going on during those days. There was not a lot of faith to go around. There was not a lot of miracles happening. And so he points it out as if to say, look, if you don't wanna have faith, that's fine. And that's happened before. And God's message of healing went to those on the outside. It went to the Gentiles, it happened before. And guess what? It is going to happen again. So the story of Naaman, while it was probably read and regarded as an exception, that Naaman is an exception to the rule, 
after the cross, Naaman would become the rule, that this was actually not an exception. This story was a foreshadowing of what Jesus would do for all. You can write this down. Naaman reminds us that Jesus came for all, that he did not die for just only the Jewish nation and that he did not die for only the righteous or only the church goer or only those who were near to him. But like Naaman, he died to heal those who were once considered enemies of God. Like Naaman, he died for those who were regarded as too far gone. Like Naaman, he died to heal those who only had a shred of faith to go on. Like Naaman, he died to heal those that you and I struggle to love. He died for those that you and I might feel like they don't really deserve forgiveness. Jesus died for people like Naaman. He died for people like you. He died for people like me. And so it's this beautiful reminder. The story of Naaman, it's this kind of random story tucked away in 2 Kings 5. It's this reminder that the Bible is not a collection of, of stories. It's not a collection of proverbial sayings, although that's kind of how we treat it sometimes. And that's okay. You know, we, we pick out a scripture and we kind of hang to it. But that, that's not what this book, that's not what the word of God is just for. This isn't just a collection of stories. The Bible is actually one large story that tells of God's relentless pursuit for you. And so Naaman, it's this beautiful reminder. First, first he points to us that we all have this terminal condition. And the, the solution, the problem is big, but the solution is very simple in Christ, although our pride often gets in the way. And so here, here's what I wanna do before we, before we go on our way. And I do have a couple announcements to give you at the very end. We're actually early today, so you have plenty of time to get your house clean and all that stuff. But for a moment, you who are here in person, you who are online, rather than doing like the traditional altar call, you know, that we did last week, I wanna give you a, just a moment with Jesus, just like a minute. And, and, and this, is, this is your time to just quietly in your heart, just confess your sin. It's just you and the Lord. Nobody on your left, nobody on your right. And, and can I speak to a, a tension that some of you feel? There's some sin that you've stopped bringing before the Lord because you're just tired of doing it because you feel like no matter what, you just kind of go back to the same thing over and over and over. And so the doubt and the unbelief, it doesn't necessarily rest with Christ, it rests with you. But can I tell you, if it rests with you, then you're still resting it upon Christ because our Jesus can do anything and cleanse anyone. Now, Naaman, think about this. He had to dip himself seven times. So seven times he plunges himself, he gets out, nothing has happened. Plunges himself again and again and again, five times, six times, gets out, it's the same, nothing has changed, and he goes in again. So here's what I'm asking you to do. I'm asking you to go in one more time with Jesus. To go in one more time and to know that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us, not from some unrighteousness or a little bit, but all. Would you bow your heads with me, those of you here in person, those of you online, just a minute, just you and the Lord. And if I, if I feel anything within, in my spirit, I'll, I'll call it, I won't call you by name, but know that our Jesus calls you by name. 
He knows you and he loves you. There is nothing that you can bring that would shock him. There is nothing that you can bring that would cause him to retch or pull back from you. Just for a moment, you and Jesus. There's some of us here, maybe online, we just, we just hate, we hate ourselves. Like that is the word that we would use. Lord, I pray as we confess, I pray that we would feel your love and that would change the way that we even feel about ourselves. There's some of us here, we're carrying so much on our shoulders, family, work, life, and it's heavy because we're carrying it alone. I pray we'd confess that. And as we do, would we feel the heaviness slide off our shoulders? Or there's some of us that we're struggling with secret sin. For some of us, it's pornography. And there's so much shame and there's so much guilt that the enemy uses within sins like this. I pray that as we confess, we would feel your arms just wrap around us. There are many of us that were struggling relationally. There are some interactions that we didn't handle super well this week. And we would like to sit in our pride and make excuses for it. Lord, break our hearts down. If you will not break the heart of our spouse or our kids or our parents, then God, would you break our own heart first so that reconciliation may happen. Lord Jesus, the problem is big. Sin is big. But Lord, the cross is bigger. I pray that we would stop digging up things that you have buried long ago. And if there's this tension and this feeling of, well, what if we sin tomorrow? You know what? We're all going to sin tomorrow in some way. We're all going to fall short. Lord, what if I sin tomorrow? You say, then I'll be there. What if I wake up and I just live life the way that I have been living it? Then Lord, you say, then I will be there. What if I lose all hope again and I'm just carrying everything on my own? Lord, you say, then I will be there. And so I pray that tomorrow and the next day and the next day and the next day, Lord, we turn to you time and time again because we cannot do this on our own, although we try. And it is part of the broken human condition. It's one of the biggest issues the saint struggles with after being cured from sin is we try to do this on our own. We'd love to come to the door with all this pomp, Lord, and everything we've done and all the ways we serve. Lord, just humble us. We need you. We need you so, so much. Lord, you are good. You are love. You are life itself. You are worthy to be praised. There is nothing we can find in this life and the next that is better than you. And so Jesus, we lay ourselves down and I pray that we'd walk out of here feeling new today, feeling different today.
We love you, Lord. You're so good. And we pray all this in the matchless name of Jesus. And we all say together, church, amen. Can we give the Lord a hand? We hope you were blessed by this weekend sermon. If this is your first time joining us, we welcome you to check out our website, newhopeleeward.org, to learn more about us and how you can get connected into our ohana. We hope you'll join us again soon.